You may not know his name, but you've definitely sung his music. Known for writing songs like In Christ Alone with Keith and Kristen Getty and How Deep the Father's Love, Stuart Townen has given the church many modern hymns that'll draw believers closer to Christ for many years to come. Hi, I'm Charles Morris. This is the Great Stories Podcast, and I'm returning to a conversation I had with Stuart Townen when I went to his home in Brighton, England, there on the South Coast in 2014. I'm so glad I did. He picked me up at the train station. We drove over to his house. We sat by the piano where he's composed so much music, and I heard his life story. He's one of the foremost modern hymn writers in the church today. His name isn't so well known in North America, but his music certainly is. And in this conversation, you're going to hear him talk about what goes into writing a memorable hymn that's theologically sound and true and has the power to resonate in the hearts of worshipers all over the world and across the generations. And if you want to hear more like this, we have an album available on our website featuring Stuart Town and the Gettys and others. It's called Sing in Christ Alone. And it would be a fantastic addition to your home worship collection. So now, without further ado, let's wind the clock back and let's go to a home in merry old England. Welcome to Haven Today, and we're coming to you from Brighton, which uh, is a sunny place, as sunny as it gets in England, and we're in the home of uh, Stuart Townen, who you may not have heard of, but I know you've heard of his music, like In Christ Alone, that we just heard opening the program. Stuart, welcome for the very first time to Haven Today. Thank you very much, Charles. I've wanted to have you on for a very long time, and it is kind of interesting. You're, you're one of those laid-back musicians who's <laughs> written a lot, and, uh, and yet you don't go touring around the world all the time. I don't tour a lot. I mean, I do tour a little bit. I probably make one international trip a year. Um, but I, I'd like to be home-based. You know, I like to stay with family. And I think the main thing I've learned down the years is that if I can make a contribution to the church, probably it's in the writing rather than in the performing that I think I can make the best contribution. So I kind of try and put time into thinking through lyrical ideas and, and forming songs. And that really what is what drives me most. Well, and in, besides uh, being a, a father of three and happily married, you are a worship pastor as well here on the south of England. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, over time, I think I've obviously I have focused in on, on songwriting, but there, there's been more of a teaching role sometimes in different aspects okay. and more of a pastoral role as time's gone on. And this song, of course, in Christ Alone that we just we just heard. You wrote that with your friend Keith Getty. We've had Keith and Kristen on our program many times before, but uh, in in the U.S. recently, one of the mainline denominations wanted to use In Christ Alone, and yet they wanted to change the lyrics. Mm -hmm. What did the denomination for their new hymnal want to change uh, In Christ Alone? Well, well it was it was centering around an issue that has come up a few times. The atonement. Which is the issue of the atonement, penal substitution, and the issue of the wrath of God. And I, I, Which, I think uh, we Americans would say wrath. The but, wrath uh, of God, yes. yes. So we felt it's important to say, actually, we've written what we've written. And mm. um, 
I, I would not be so arrogant as to say that my, you know, that I'm right and other people are wrong. All I would say is, I would say, this is how I see what the scriptures say. And that song encapsulates that. Now, I uh, do not have a problem at all with people saying, I don't feel I can sing that. I don't agree with that. And I don't have a problem with them saying that. And, you know, we can have debates about theology, etc. But don't but, change my words. But I don't think you can then say, well, let's remove this aspect of what what many millions of Christians for hundreds of years have held to be fundamental to their faith and say, well, let's remove it because there is another section over here who doesn't think that. I, you know, I think there probably are other songs around that I would go, I'm not sure that line, I would agree with that line, in which case I would miss it out, but I wouldn't change it so that it conformed to what I think. And in this case, although the vote was split, a mainline denomination, their hymnal committee for a new hymnal, wanted to remove the word wrath, wrath, and uh, insert the word love. Yeah. And, and of course, there's truth in that. Yes. But there's yeah. also truth that if you eliminate the word wrath, you're eliminating a part of what the scripture teaches. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. And it's not the first time I've come across this, because yes, I, I think yes. a few people in the past have, I've had people write and say, you know, we don't feel we can use this because of this and we'd like to change it um i don't think ultimately the the approach of going let's censor let's take that out even in the interests of unity i think we can be unified while actually not necessarily agreeing on everything but i don't think you then eliminate it because i think that goes into an area where actually you're now beginning to strip out things that are fundamental Mm. to the gospel even though we might have slightly different perspectives on it and i don't think that's the way to go so you know i, I the the door is open for anyone to write another song that actually would express a slightly different perspective Let, let's just talk about uh before we hear a little more of your music your life you were obviously born in england you have an english accent actually i was born in scotland that, that's significant i assume uh, um <laughs> well okay i was still born in the uk so um, right. but but if you have any scottish listeners they would be very keen to make the distinction between being born in scotland and being born in england all right and your father was a pastor i understand my father was a pastor when i when i was born he was a pastor in the church of the nazarene so he's a nazarene pastor yes. in the north of england and then actually up in scotland uh, for a while, which is why I was born there. Yes. Um, but he moved from being uh, a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene to becoming a Church of England, a vicar, which is an unusual move. That's a radical jump. Well, it was for the Nazarenes at the time yes. to hear that he did that. And so that was quite a difficult move, but he definitely just felt the call of God to make that transition, to make that move. You were then raised uh, in the church. Yeah. You were raised in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. uh, the classic, you know, tell us about your spiritual journey. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. Yes. Uh, but do you mind sharing with us a little bit about how the Lord Jesus Christ connected to you in a, in a personal way? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very... I, I, I'm very appreciative of my upbringing. Uh, I think sometimes those of us who've been brought up in a Christian environment can kind of look down on that because we don't have a really powerful testimony about God. But I was brought up knowing the Bible. I was brought up knowing the Christian truth. And I was brought up seeing that outworking in my parents' lives. And actually, I really value that. I learned such a lot from that. So my background is bathed in Christian things. It's bathed in church mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. And actually, those are positive things, although, of course, they're not enough right. to come to, to faith, a personal 
uh, faith and knowledge of Christ himself. So what happened for me was I was brought up in these Christian uh, things, you know, going to church three times a day and uh, on a Sunday and, um, you know, I, all those kind of things. And, and, and in a sense, living, you know, being in a Christian home, Christian family, um, singing Christian songs mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, knowing the Bible. I used to go to Bible studies and stuff. But it, probably what happened for me was, even though I think I probably expressed a commitment at quite an early age, mm. I, I mean, I even remember as a five-year-old or six-year-old, right. you know, uh, asking to become a Christian. I, I think probably when, uh, and it is a journey for many of us, I'm not sure yes. there is necessarily a crisis point, and maybe several crisis points. Um, I remember as a child of 13 or so, I remember going mm. to a church service where a visiting pastor was speaking, and as he was describing what it meant to be a Christian, I suddenly felt, actually, do you know what? I know all this stuff, but somehow I'm outside of it looking in. Mm. This isn't actually describing me inside of my relationship. It faith. Yeah. Wow. And at that point, I thought, I need to do something about this. Mm. And I think at that point, that was probably the point at which I'm, I made a, an important, meaningful commitment to Christ, when I would say that although I think God was part of my life, and of course He was active in my life, mm-hmm. I would say at that point that my relationship with Him took a new turn, and actually then became a meaningful, uh, or more meaningful, more direct relationship with Christ, where I would say I was following Christ from that point. Stuart, I. I traveled all the way from the United States to ask you about one song that you've written, which uh, churches sing all over the world every week. And and it's been around for a while. I'm thinking of uh, How Deep the Father's Love, uh, which most people have heard, but again, they might not know you wrote it. Is there some significance behind that song? I I see that song as, I suppose, a significant turning point in my own journey of writing. Okay. Um, Because I'd written a number of songs before that. This wasn't the first kind of congregational worship song I'd written. But um, it definitely set a direction for me in terms of perhaps more content-orientated, almost Mm hymn-like writing. Mm -hmm. I'd say probably this was the first hymn that I'd written. And it was, I mean, it's a funny process, really, because I was working really hard on a different song. And uh, it was, uh, sometimes this happens, it just was so slow going, and it was Mm. such a pain writing Mm. this song. Mm. And I kind of wasn't really getting anywhere with it. And I just thought, oh, I need to stop just for a minute. So I just stopped and um, just had this melody come into my head. You know, I just thought, I didn't know where that popped up from, you know, and it's just (laughs) as I was kind of relaxing and and stuff. And I just kind of, this melody came to my head, and I thought, actually, that that seems to work really well. And I just thought, let's write a, a personal but in a sense, you know, um, descriptive song of, of Christ on the cross, yeah. what that means for us, you know. And, uh, but in a more personal way, I think, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way of thinking, actually, I can hear my voice among the scoffers, you mm. know, rejecting him, mm. you know, nailing him to the cross. And yet he was doing this for me. So in a sense, it's a, it's a song, it's a responsive, humble song of love. Um, but in this sort of hymn-like style. So actually, so this melody came to my head. So the melody came first. Yeah, melody and definitely came first. And then the lyrics. First. And the melody is one of those things where you think, 
this has come so easily. I must have stolen it. Heard it somewhere, from somewhere before. Else yes, and sure. accidentally reprocessed it. Sure. So I played it for everybody I could find. No one could have remember having ever heard it. No, that's right. right. Thankfully. Yes. Um, and so kind of just felt, okay, well, maybe this is going to work. And I remember playing it for um, uh, a good friend of mine who really helped and, uh, you know, was a mentor to me. And he listened to it and he said, yeah, I think it's quite good. So I played it at church the following Sunday and didn't think anything more of it. And then it just seemed to somehow develop an energy of its own. It began to get used in other churches and I was using it at events. And it kind of just, you know, took off from there. But it really was, in a sense, the first time I'd moved in that direction of, you know, a hymn-like song. And hymn, I, I, you hymn know, I'm writing. not a big... You know, I'm not a big hymn lover. I don't come home of an evening and, you know, stick... Your, your family doesn't, you know, open their hymnals. <laughs> no, that's and, uh, right. Yeah, we don't you, sing together around you, the table, you know. 300, 400-year-old <laughs> hymns, you don't do that. Play, play no. a little bit for um, us here. How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mother chosen We uh, transitioned there to a live performance of How Deep the Father's Love. This is Haven Today. We're coming to you from Brighton, England with Stuart Townen. Thank you for joining us today. And you, you mentioned as we went into hearing this song that this was kind of the first hymn that you wrote. You didn't really set out to write hymns. Uh, you grew up like many of us in the praise and worship generation, if I could use that term. But yet this song has content in those lyrics, biblical content. Did you even think of that as you were writing the lyrics after this melody tune came to your mind? I, I think probably as I look back, there was a process going on in my mind of writing and of the importance of content in what we sing. I was aware quite often I would be singing or leading a congregation uh, in sung worship. And sometimes I would think, oh, I wish we had a song that said this. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, it'd be really good to sing this, to focus our attention on Christ right sure. now. And um, so I kind of, you know, I was thinking, oh, what a shame we haven't got them. And then uh, a friend of mine said, well, if we haven't got them, why don't you start, why don't you write them? So that kind of set me on that course. But I was very aware as I was caught up in the excitement of what was really a, a, a renewal movement of worship. Mm -hmm. Certainly that was happening in the UK. I, I don't know how it was in other parts of the world, but certainly in the UK in the mid-70s, late-70s, early-80s, mm -hmm. um, there was definitely a renewal of worship. So we were actually singing songs that perhaps expressed more emotionally and more dynamically our relationship with God. And many of us were experiencing a fresh um, mm. sense of a closeness of God and a sense of the, the, the real, you know, reality of knowing God, rather than it just being an intellectual thing, actually something that kind of consumed the whole of us. 
and uh, be, becoming very aware of that. So we had lots of songs that were very exciting. But increasingly, I was seeing over time, we were writing songs that were saying how wonderful it was to enjoy the presence of God. More, more feeling. More feeling, and yes. And not necessarily... Can I use the word doctrine? Yeah, I, I, word, I, I uh, think I would say they were, they were more subjective songs. And actually, okay. I think that was a good thing because I think we needed that. Sure. Because there is a, there's obviously nothing wrong a with feeling no, or emotion. No, absolutely not. But I think we, the pendulum was swinging the other way somewhat. Yes. And yes. so actually we were singing a lot about our experience of standing in the presence of God, but we weren't singing a lot about God. Hmm. So actually, you know, I see now, I, I would say... Whenever I'm preparing uh, a time of singing, a time of uh, worship, song worship uh, with a church, I would think we need subjective elements, but we also need objective elements. Mm-hmm. And in fact, mm-hmm. the subjective can flow from the objective. So I can say I'm very excited to know God and express my love and worship, but it's in response to who he is and what he has done. So we need to bring the objective and the subjective together and for those elements to be working in parallel the whole time i think that's one of the things the gap i saw in the objective side Mm. of modern songwriting or hymn writing was the kind of thing that drew me down the hymn-like path to say actually you know although it's great to sing songs that you know say lord i love to stand in your presence lord i love you so much that's fantastic to say that but we also need to say things like modern equivalents of immortal invisible god only wise enlightened try and describe who god is right and I think that's a really important aspect of our worship, because worship needs to start with God, not with us. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, Nailed to a cross of wood This the power of the cross Christ became sin for us Took the blame, bore the Stuart Townend, uh, one of the songs you've written is is a theme that for every Christ follower should be of prime importance to us. Uh, how can we be saved? You know, how can we know Jesus were not for the cross? If it were not for the Father to send the Son to die on the cross and uh, and and to die for our sins, mm. you've done a powerful song on this and. In fact, the power of the cross is the name of the hymn. You mind telling me just a little bit about that hymn? No, absolutely. Um, again, it's a song that I, I I wrote with Keith Getty. He he wrote um, what I thought was a tremendous melody, a really inspiring melody. And again, we talked about it and wondered, you know, how we might explore what kind of themes we might explore. And definitely, one of the things we wanted to write. Uh, was to explore about what the cross means. Mm. Now, again, like a number of the songs we've written, a part of the song is quite descriptive. So it really is describing that journey, that day, that Friday Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, Christ's journey to the cross and what he endured and the things that happened. Again, rooting in 
the, the, our understanding of the cross to recognize that actually this is a, apart from it being an, a phenomenal spiritual life-changing event, it's also a physical, real event that happened. Mm. So describing those things that happened. And um, so the verses kind of tell the story and the chorus says, okay, this is the power of the cross. This is what this means that Christ took our sin on his shoulders. Mm. And uh, I think there is something powerful, and I think sometimes it's missing from some of our worship songs and hymns that are written more recently, is that element of painting the picture of what was going on, what was happening mm. at the time mm. of Jesus, you know, taking those steps to Calvary and, um, you know, see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. And, uh, you know, kind of tr painting the picture in words and in music of what was going on. Um, I, I, I feel really um, uh, proud of that song in the right, in the right way, because in a sense, although it actually took a long time to write. And in fact, I do remember when Keith and I were I was sending verse uh, chorus ideas to him. And I think we ended up with like 14 or 15 different mm -hmm. versions of the chorus because mm -hmm. we couldn't get it right. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't quite working. Eventually, we decided to do two different choruses. So there's a chorus that goes between the verses. Then there's a final chorus. I think and, that's called a bridge, maybe, in uh, music. Well, it, I Not mean, quite. It, <laughs> no, it, it was a refrain each time. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just kind of tweaking it and trying to get so it. So you did both right since time. you couldn't decide so we ended on up, one. We, so we ended up with two. But you kind of get your head so kind of in, the, in it that you can't see the wood for the trees and mm. you kind of get a bit stuck. But I think actually then having decided that and, and kind of moving away from it, you think, actually, no, no, this, this really works. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a song we've had a lot of feedback on. I think people find it really helpful. But again, it's combining, you know, storytelling, with okay so what are the implications of this mm. you know christ mm. became sin for us and um and then the final chorus is is that kind of okay so what if all this stuff happened mm -hmm. christ did this what does this mean so it says oh to see my name written in the wounds mm. uh, for through your suffering i mm. am free um uh, death is crushed to death life is mine to live mm. um bought through your your selfless love and um you know, in a sense going, okay, so this is what this means. And again, I think a bit like in Christ alone, the point about it, which is for Christians really to grab a hold of, is that our salvation is based not on how well we perform mm. or, you know, how diligent we are. Our faith, our salvation is based on what Christ has done. Mm. This is why we can have confidence because very few of us can have confidence in our performance. But we can have confidence in what he's done. And this is the message of grace, which sometimes in some of our churches gets lost because actually mm -hmm. we think that we're only acceptable to God because we're doing well, because we're sorting things out, we're doing because we're diligent, because we're doing our bit. That is not the gospel. The gospel is what Christ has done is what saves you. If I can come and worship God and, and enjoy his presence on a Sunday morning, it's not because I've done pretty well during the mm -hmm. week. It's because simply of what Christ has done. Now, obedience plays a part, sure but obedience does. is a response to what Christ has done. It doesn't earn me the right to know God. It's actually my joyful response to what he has done. This is the wonder of the grace message. Mm. And it's a continued a desperation uh, on our part to keep 
returning and finding grace yes. again. But it's humility that yes. actually is the, yes. it's to say, I need him and I will come to him. But also humility and confidence to say, because what Christ has done is now and forever, I can stand on that. I sure. can build my life on him and I will, res- you know, my life is a response to his goodness to me. Come all you vagabonds, come all you don't belongs, winners and losers, come people like me. Come all you travelers, tired from the journey, come wait a while, stay a while, welcome you'll be. Looking for answers and searching for reasons and sensing it all. Come all you fallen and come all you broken. Find strength for your body and food for your soul. Come to the feast, there is room at the table. Come, let us meet in this place. With the king of all kindness, he welcomes us in with the wonder of love and the power of grace. The wonder of love and That is a most unusual song, uh, which you tell me the BBC has used on some of their religious programs. Why did you write this song? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very unusual and has some interesting dimensions to it, almost country and western at points. Yeah, I, I mean, it does. It brings together, musically, it brings together a number of different influences, I think. So um, there is something perhaps more country about it. There's a definitely, a, there's a folk element yes. to it there's a there's a kind of an almost an eastern side to it as well in in little little parts string parts and things which uh, the guy who produced the album and and arranged it a guy called mark edwards who's a brilliant musician and i work a lot with with him he kind of came up with some of these ideas but th- i think thematically it's interesting as well I, I have been thinking recently that we have a lot of songs that actually um feed us as the church um but actually music obviously has a power to reach outside of the church and, uh, that to explains reach... the lyrics I just well, heard. absolutely. So I think um, really wanted to explore perhaps writing songs that could work outside of the context of church. That perhaps could work in you know a, a different musical settings, or could work in you know an English pub or something. You know that mm-hmm. actually you could sing outside of it. It would make sense to people who don't have a church background because I find a lot of our songs, through our worship songs, are using a lot of language that actually we understand, but people outside the church have no idea what we're talking about. And since there are more and more people outside the church today than inside yeah. the church, if you're going to bring people inside the church, you yeah. you must reach them with yeah. words that they can understand. Yes. We can't expect them to roll up at our front door, you know, and start reciting for, the creed. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, we need to make that connection. I also, I, I, I again, I suppose this is a peculiarly... Um, British thing maybe or European thing is that people really have very little idea of what the gospel is about Mm. and actually they sometimes think the exact opposite to what we know to be the truth about the gospel so for example explain yeah for example um, you know we know that that Christ's welcome is to everyone God's soul of the world you know love the world that he sent his only begotten son he didn't just home in on certain individuals actually he loved the whole world Mm. so the call goes out to everyone to respond to the gospel it's an inclusive message not an exclusive thing Mm. but actually if you go around just ordinary people in the street in you know in brighton where we live here in england and you say what do you know about the church and they'll say well it's an exclusive club i'm i wouldn't be welcome Mm. there that's what people think they think it's a handful of older people yeah. Nobody young goes to church. Who are very judgmental, who, you know, because I live a certain way, I wouldn't be accepted. I think fundamentally people think that, and they think we have lots of prejudices. 
and you know uh, uh, about you know the way that they are and and stuff that's the for whatever reason is the message that the church seems to have given to the world and it's becoming more that way in north america as right, well right too and and yet that is the exact opposite to Christ's message. So what this song is based on is the whole thing of, you know, Jesus tells the parable of, of the guy who invited all his friends to come to the party. None of them came. So he went out on the streets and invited all the other people who That's thought right. they would never be allowed it's into the for party. for everyone. The unholy yeah. uh, can become holy yeah. thanks Absolutely. to the Lord Jesus. So, you know, people think, Christians think this and non-Christians think this is, is if I was ever going to come to church, I need to sort myself out in order to be able to come to I Christ. I need to get good before I can be good. Yeah. Doesn't work and, that way. And it's exactly the other way around. You come to Christ exactly as you are, and he welcomes you with open arms, and then he starts sorting you out. Now, you yourself, you, you told us on the program yesterday that you uh, grew up in the church, Christian mm-hmm. family. Your dad was a pastor and, and, and then a vicar, I guess, yep. is the Church of England term. Yes. Yes, right. uh, and maybe you even lived in a vicarage, too, I did. I know. I lived in three or four different vicarages. vicarages. But, but, but what happened to you at university or some other point yeah. in your life? There must have been that crisis point of faith in your own life yeah i mean i think as probably many people would say that i there wasn't a single crisis point there were several crisis points and university was an interesting kind of journey for me or part of the journey but it definitely was the first time that i was away from the family influence and and there was a clash You, you were clashing your faith clashing with a world which is opposed to, Absolutely. to Christ. And probably my experience, as many people have been brought up in a church environment or Christian home environment, is you move away from that and you are exposed to things that you were not, you know, really, you sure. knew about but never had firsthand experience or sure. knowledge of. And, you know, there is a thing about when you brought up in a Christian home, you look out over those, you know, the other side of the fence, if you like, and all those people who seem to be enjoying themselves. And there's a little bit in the back mm-hmm. of your mind going, you know, I wonder what that's mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. For me at university, I think it was a time when I was thinking, what would happen if I wasn't facing in Christ in the direction of Christ? Mm-hmm. What happens if I was facing the other way? Would the whole thing evaporate? Would it actually just, you know, was it just, was it there because I believed it? Is or it was true? it that, you know, yeah, essentially, is it true? And I, there was a time, actually, part of my university life was, was spending a year in America. And so there was a time, actually, in, in the, when I was living in the States. And actually, I thought, I, I kind of just drifted away. In fact, I kind of made a decision to go, actually, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, it was it was not... You, a, you were the prodigal someplace I was the in America. Prodigal, I suppose I was. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a terrible time it's actually very enjoyable in, ma- in many ways and i was you know enjoying myself and doing Vanity things fair is always and, enjoyable. yeah absolutely and johnny but uh, during that time i would not be able to say you know i was thinking you know if i do this well i kind of feel like ah oh, god things just kind of disappeared yeah. and there was never a time when i could say that god wasn't there because i knew he was there mm-hmm. even when mm-hmm. i wasn't following him i knew he was there and the really funny thing charles that was happening was as I was doing this, not living a Christian lifestyle at all, I had friends who were not Christians coming up to me and saying, there's something different about you. I can't work out what it is. <laughs> and you kind of go, you know, hang on a second. I'm not doing I'm the Christian I'm living in the things. world now. I am not supposed to be living in the faith but right now. But somehow Christ is still at work in you and can mm. be seen in you, mm. which was kind of a, a quite a profound thing for me to, to realize. And of, of course, over time, I kind of thought, actually living just one day to the next no no sense of meaning no mm, sense of purpose mm. no sense of god you know inviting god to be involved actually ultimately felt unfulfilling yes and yes. felt you and know useless. a little meaningless 
And uh, so, but you the know, Lord God, brought you back. Yeah, as he always does yeah. for his his children. Yeah. He loves us. Yeah. And I must say, Stuart Town, and by the way, if you just joined us here on Haven Today, our guest, uh, we're visiting in Brighton, England. Uh, he's never been on our program before. Stuart is, uh, well, the writer of a lot of Christian music, great Christian music, and uh, hymns as well, and we've talked about that. Stuart, I, I sometimes can get emotional about a hymn, a mm-hmm. piece of Christian music, and I must say... I can remember the first time I ever heard one of your songs, and I just couldn't quit crying. And it was about Jesus, my Savior. I want our listeners to hear that, and many of them, of course, would have heard this before. Any little background on how the Lord introduced you to your song, Beautiful Savior? Yeah, the the song, again, I see as being part of the, part of the journey and realizing that we need songs that explore who Christ is rather mm. than just explore my emotional response to him. So so the song mm. is actually structured with the verses actually speaking about what he's done in my life, but the chorus is actually just based on the names of Christ. And, you know, I really just wanted a song where actually you could just sing about who he is, the names of Christ, and dwell on those, those and, things. And, and the name of the, of the song, or hymn, I guess, mm-hmm. is Beautiful Savior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which reminds me of Martin Luther, you know, right. and Ferris, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yes. But uh, uh, yeah. so the names of Christ are sung yeah. in the chorus. Yes. And again, it's that, that thing of bringing the objective and the subjective together. Mm-hmm. So actually, you know, the focal point of our worship is celebrating who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And then going on from that to respond by, because Christ is this, this is what this means for me. Mm. This is what I can mm. say. You know, mm-hmm. I can say, you know, sins forgiven, conscience cleansed. But it's because of him. And so keeping the focus the whole time mm. on the centrality of who Christ is and that he is the Lord of history, the Lord of my history. I look on my, you know, through my life mm-hmm. and see the way that he has, you know, been leading and ruling and, you know, caring and protecting and being Lord over everything that has happened. And, you know, never far from his, never outside his protection, mm. close to him, even when there have been times when I've not felt that. Such kind as of times warmth, at university you know? when yeah. you went to America. He was for still a year. close. That's right. Uh, but, but then he brings you back. Yeah. And all my days, I have this Savior, yeah. this beautiful Savior. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, really, that's really what I, w- I wanted the song to express. Beautiful Savior. Counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness, you're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign. All my days, beautiful Savior. Stuart, I just want to say thank you for writing that song. I don't want to say you were inspired, but I think God gives us all gifts, and so I'm going to assume he gave you that song to share with us even today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Stuart, before we leave, uh, would, would you mind just praying for our, our listeners? Sure. Uh, they're, they're around the world, but they're primarily in North America. Sure. Uh, even though you're a worship pastor uh, in the south of England, would you mind praying for followers of Christ all over the world. I would love to. Okay. Yeah, let's pray. 
Father, I thank you so much that we have such a wonderful gospel to express. Thank you that uh, it's not just words or ideas or concepts. It's a living reality in our lives. And I thank you for the reality of Christ uh, in our lives. Lord, you are the beautiful Savior. And I pray for each one of us. I pray that you will day by day reveal more and more of yourself and your reality. Uh, to us, that we might know you more dearly and uh, more see you more clearly each day uh, that we live. Lord, I thank you. We've all been on a journey. You've been taking us all on an individual journey, and we recognize your hand of love and guidance and protection each of those days. I pray for each one of us now that we may uh, grow more and more in our knowledge of you and uh, stay closer to you and look to you more often each in our daily lives, in the daily warp and woof of life, that we will look to you more and more and uh, depend on you more and more and uh, give us thankful hearts recognizing your activity in our lives. We thank you and we love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris and a special thanks to Stuart Townen for joining me today. I have fond memories of Stuart picking me up at the train station, not too far from his house, sitting together in his living room, having a tea with him. Oh, maybe we actually had a cup of coffee. He knew I was an American. It was back in 2014, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Remember, if you want to receive an album featuring Stuart Townen and the Gettys, it's called Sing, and it's available for your gift to Haven Ministries on our website at haventoday.org. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.